This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, December 7th, a date which will live in infamy. It's National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, and I'm Robert Bluey. And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, Rob talks with a longtime Daily Signal subscriber about his personal experience of having COVID-19 and just how prepared our hospitals are to treat those infected with the virus. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a pro-life organization called Let Them Live that provides women with the practical resources they need to choose life. Before we get to today's show, Rob and I want to thank you for your support for The Daily Signal. Each day, The Daily Signal brings you the news you trust on the most important policy debates facing our country. We cut through the liberal media spin and provide honest, thorough, and responsible reporting on today's critical issues. But we can't do it without the help of patriots like you. Consider giving a tax-deductible contribution to The Daily Signal and help us build conservative momentum this year and beyond. Just visit dailysignal.com slash donate. With your help, we can build an America where freedom, opportunity, prosperity, and civil society flourish. Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. We are joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by Alan Mensch, a longtime Daily Signal subscriber from St. Louis, Missouri. Alan is also a COVID-19 survivor, having recently battled the virus alongside his wife. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Glad to be here. You and I first connected way back in 2016 after I attended a meeting with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, and I believe uh, you saw some news about that, and you wrote to me at that time because you were facing censorship from Facebook on your posts, and I'd like to come back to that and and talk about it in a moment, but first, I want to hear more about your story and your battle with with COVID-19, and And I think it's so important because in a country of more than 330 million Americans, uh, we now have more than 14 million who have had COVID. Uh, You're one of them, but many people might not have any firsthand experience. So can you take our listeners back and explain how you first believe you contracted the virus and what it was like initially? Okay. Uh, First of all, I just want to say I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a COVID-19 expert. Uh, I am just sharing my account of, of what happened uh, a few weeks ago in uh, November. We uh, Wednesdays, we always have our grandchild, and we usually try to take him to one of those parks with all the playground equipment. And we, this is a newer one that we've been to, and they had some low-hanging bars, steel bars. And when you're chasing your grandchildren, you're usually watching them, and you're not looking up. And unfortunately, my wife uh, ran into one, hit her in the forehead, and she felt that, that it was a pretty good hit. So that night, she was concerned about that she might have a, uh, you know, from the hit, a, um, what you call it? A, a concussion? Concussion, yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm still dealing with the COVID fog myself. So anyway, we went to a local hospital here, a great hospital in St. Louis, actually in St. Charles. St. Charles is next to St. Louis County. And she was uh, negative uh, for the concussion. But it was two days later, uh, I showed signs of COVID. And um, and then a day or so, the next day after that, I got tested at our local hospital. And then it was a a Sunday, I think around November 14th, that I got the diagnosis of of COVID. So so basically, um, we got it at an ER. We had our mask on. We, you know, everything, everything in every 
place in the world is social distancing now. So they were doing all the right things. But um, so we got it. So the bizarre thing, if I can get into this, Rob, is this is not the flu we all got five or 10 years ago. You know, you get a stomach ache and a headache and, and a fever and it goes away in a few days. This thing has a mind of its own. So I started out not too bad, coughs and chills, you know, day one and two, things like that, maybe a little stomach problem. And then like day three, no, nothing at all. I felt great. So I, as you said, I paint. So I'm painting uh, day three and four, uh, a portrait of our grandchildren and feeling guilty because everybody else that has COVID is suffering. But that was short lived on about day five, then more symptoms came back, uh, bizarre. Like I had uh, uh, the brain fog, I had a rash, about a six by six rash on my hip, uh, no appetite, runny nose, just, and everybody's symptoms from what doctors tell me are different than, than someone else's. So then they, was it day five or six, that thing subsided and had, a, or you'd have a good morning and a bad afternoon or something like that. And then I got close to day seven and eight and it wasn't too bad. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get out of this with, you know, I'm going to beat COVID. And then it got into my lungs and I'm a high risk. I've had double pneumonia. So it was, uh, well, uh, two weeks ago on a Sunday morning in the middle of the night and Joni had COVID too, my wife. So she wasn't feeling well. So I just basically wrapped up my phone in a charger and drove to the emergency room. And I'm not saying this to be dramatic, but I was so weak and so tired when I, before I could even put the key in the car, I kind of hunched over the console and slept for a couple of minutes. I was, it was, that's how weak it is. But I didn't want to get an Uber driver sick or anything like that. So I thought I got to get there on my, on my own. So I drove there about 1 a.m. And within not very too long, they realized that I was, you know, dealing with pneumonia and they're, you know, x-raying and blood tests, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, so very quickly, they had a plan in, in place and they said, we're going to give you remdesivir and dracodin to, you know, help you breathe and we're going to admit you, you know, in the middle of the night. So I did ask the doctor then because we're all kind of curious of this, how this, this flu spreads. And when I said, Hey, I was here, you know, a week ago with the, with the concussion issue. And I, you know, I had this social distancing, I had the mask and the doctor almost smiled and he goes, sir, he said, this thing can travel 30, 40 feet at a time. It can pierce through a mask with ease. He said, you know, we're all trying to do what we can do, but uh, especially in a hospital atmosphere where there's a lot of germs floating around. He said, there's there's hardly any way that you can stop it. So uh, they admitted me, they got me on the good drugs. And by the end of that Sunday, like 20, 22 hours later, I was already starting to uh, see my oxygen levels rise and uh, starting to feel a little better. But because I have two nurses a day, I was able to kind of talk to them and, and just get the inside story. Because all I had heard up till before I got in the hospital was what you saw in the news. And it seemed to be very uh, dubious of what they were saying. And it turns out what the nurses tell me, and, oh, but by the way, these nurses were incredible. Uh, it's part of the BJC system here in St. Louis and uh, confident and uh, took care of me. They did everything they could. They had like a no fear in them. Most of them have already had the COVID. 
and because that's where they work and it's in you know it's in probably in the airstream and so then they're going home and they're dealing with it probably if they're younger they live with their parents and giving it to their parents and if they if they're older and they have a family they're giving it to the husband so so they had a lot of stories to share i have i had 12 symptoms and maybe zero of them uh were the same as some of the nurses uh one nurse just had a bad back a bad headache and and one other thing and she was sleeping 22 hours a day for about a week in in her 20s so she's a healthy person before she started to come around so every time i would share my symptoms with somebody else especially this patch i had this uh looked like i scraped myself or something they just looked at me rolled their eyes and then they would share you know what they had and the the word i heard the most from doctors and nurses was the word it's unpredictable well, it certainly seems that way, Al. I mean, I, I'm going. <laughs> you were keeping in touch with me throughout this. Uh, I right. think that you first told me uh, back in mid-November, and right. you said uh, you, you told me you had COVID. You were on day four. The symptoms were were pretty minimal. Uh, you shared how you you thought it happened. Uh, a few days later, you you checked in. Um, I think it was on on Tuesday, November nineteenth, and you said, you know, you're feeling fine. Uh, you know, you've had the flu that's been worse than this. And then next time, then I didn't hear from you uh, for several days, which, you know, you and I are like kind, kind of always emailing. Exactly. And, and the next thing I know, you, you tell me you, you've been to the ER, um, you know, but fortunately at that point, you'd kind of turn the corner and, and you'd, you'd, um, you'd come off the, the oxygen and you've, you felt better. It just is, is really unbelievable to hear this story about how, how dramatically it can change um, just within a, a 24-hour uh, period. When you decided to go to the hospital, um, what was what was your thinking? I mean, are you are are, are you in a state of mind where, where you're not sure you're going to come out of this, or or you've got a lot of hope that they can get you the drugs that you need to to bounce back? Well, normally I'm a walk it off guy, you know, because I don't like to run to the doctor for every little scratch and sniffle I get. But the day or so, 24 hours or 36 hours before I went to the ER. My wife knew my cough wasn't good, and she kept saying, you know, you need to go, you need to go. And I kept thinking, well, I'm almost at this 10-day, you know, period of being out of this, maybe. Uh, so, but I've since I had double pneumonia, and I knew what it felt like, that's what I was feeling the, the night before I drove. So I purposely waited till 1 a.m. because I wanted to get, I wanted the ER room to clear out so I could get get all the, the uh, care I could. So that's why I waited as long as I did. But no, I knew what double pneumonia felt like, and I knew I probably had it and knew that uh, you know, I had to throw in the towel and not be such a tough guy and, and go in there. You told me that you'd like to personally thank President Trump for his response uh, to COVID-19. Of course, the president himself uh, battled battled COVID. Uh, what's your message that you want other Americans to hear uh, based on your own experience and, and why you credit President Trump? Real quickly, before I voted for him in a primary in 2016, and I think my wife was a cruise guy at the time, we were driving to the primary and I only knew what everybody else saw, you know, in the newspapers and TV show and Oprah and all that stuff. And I remember looking and I said, uh, you know, you vote for you who you want to vote for, but this guy gets the job done and he's a winner. I'll never forget t telling you that. So uh, there's no doubt 
I, and I'm not saying this to flatter him or, 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 or make conservatives feel well. The guy, to me, is, is part genius, and he's a hard patriot worker. And from that, what, he, what I feel they developed – now, I've had you know, seven, eight, nine months for the hospitals to you know, get a reactionary program going. So in that time, they found the right drugs, uh, super confident. Everybody in the system, this uh, BJC hospital I went to, and it's like when you walk on an airplane, you want to look at a pilot that you know is going to get you from A to B safely. And when you look at these doctors and they're so confident, to me, that's the beginning of the healing process. Like, okay, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to do the right thing and, you know, they're going to get me healed. And and so anyway, I, I just feel, I, I feel the uh, the credit starts at the top and, and I believe and I I watched some of those uh, sessions back in March, April, and May, and I not I know not everyone was on board with President Trump, but I mean, I'm 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 a survivor, and I think that the system they set up. Now there's two different things going on. I got the Cadillac drugs, the remdesivir and the dracodin. My wife didn't. Uh, when I was in the hospital and getting these IV drips for four days. Uh, she did drive herself to the ER, and she did not have pneumonia. And I, I don't know how they do the rules with the drugs and all that, but they sent her home. And she was not feeling well when she drove there. So I wasn't home. So she was kind of on her own, on her own. And she was, she explained to me, she was so tired, she couldn't even take her coat off when she got home. She just slept for hours and hours. And uh, she, it was hard for her to even take care of herself because you, you get so weak, you can barely move. So in that case, I have to give more thanks to President Trump because whether you are for or against the drug, the hydroxychloroquine, um, that, uh, that seemed to be the only option left. And as I watched the few days before we got that medication, uh, she wasn't moving just coughing and writhing in pain. And it was just, it was frightening because normally we can call a doctor and get something for our loved one or ourself or whatever. And I couldn't do anything. And we'd call the ER and they'd say, well, you can bring her in, but if, you know, if she doesn't have, uh, uh, you know, pneumonia or something, we'll send her home. And that wasn't a good enough answer. So anyway, it was a week ago, Sunday or Saturday night, we secured uh hydroxychloroquine and uh you take two pills a day and and it was about day three so more or less monday sunday monday something like that where we finally started to see her uh make some improvement and i can honestly tell you i it saved her life we are i mean al we've been praying for for you and her uh Thank you. throughout these uh these past few weeks and i mean i, I it's, it's just a blessing to talk to you today and and hear that um you both are are doing better it's scary and uh, it's it's no doubt scary i mean i uh i've had family members impacted by it and and i think that one of the things that you said to me is is don't be scared um seek help you know if if you're in a situation where you need it what is your advice to to other Americans who might find themselves in a position similar to yours? Having having lived through it, what do you want them to know? Um, have a plan. Um, this thing's going to spread. I hope nobody else gets it, but it's a pandemic, so it's it's very obvious that it's going to slowly 
uh, a factor, whether they're asymptomatic or, or you get the, the full COVID-19 like I did or my wife did, have a plan and such. We're both in our 60s, so uh, we're not, we didn't, weren't able to bounce back as quickly as someone in their 20s or 30s, although those people are having issues themselves. But if you're alone, uh, kind of make sure you have someone that you think could come in and help you because uh, there was a time where my wife couldn't hold a cup of coffee and thus she's not going to be able to take, you know, people can't take pills and fix meals and all that kind of stuff and take care of themselves. So have a plan. Uh, and I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying it would really help to know that if you can't move, you can barely roll over in bed, that a loved one or a friend or someone that's capable of doing this can come in your house and help you. Um, as far as the, the medications are concerned, I was, I want to say I was fortunate enough because I had pneumonia to get these Cadillac drugs, the remdesivir and the Dracodin. Uh, my wife wasn't. So there's an example where one spouse got it, got better quickly, and the other spouse didn't qualify. So uh, I know that uh, the hydroxychloroquine is a, you know, it's a, there's a lot of, you know, people not sure what they think about it. And, uh, and a lot of people, because it has Trump's uh, fingerprint on it, uh, you know, are probably not going to even consider it. But in the long run, um, I would say if you, you know, if you can find a conservative doctor that will uh, prescribe it for you, if, you know, if unfortunately you need it, by all means, don't, don't wait a second, you know, get it. Now, there are um, doctors on the Internet and it's no different than any other e-visit, you know, that we've all done the last year. And they will um, kind of make a diagnosis over the Internet. And if you qualify, you know, they'll send you the prescription. So what I'm saying here, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, Rob, but have a plan. Oh, I think it's so important to, to have a plan. And, and Al, how, you know, the story began, obviously, with, um, with, with you and your wife uh, taking care of your grandchild. How has it impacted your family? And, <laughs> and obviously, we're in, a, we're in a time when, when, you know, families are getting together for the holidays. And so, so what's it been like for, for, for the family uh, to, to support you throughout this? Uh, a lot of WhatsApp, a lot of Zoom. Uh, I wouldn't let anyone I know or love anywhere near my house right now. Right now, we're we're fine, and there's probably you know the the germ. We're past the point where there's no more germs, but uh, I, I wouldn't let anybody I know near the house. If a couple of relatives have been kind enough to drop something off on the porch, and that's that's fine. But uh, we're you know so we're trying to keep it as as um, dichotic as we could. Uh, as far as Christmas, <laughs> I, I you know they, they, they all the the uh, ornaments and everything in the basement won't come be coming up this year. Uh, we've got one little plant that we, we put out. So so uh, Thanksgiving was pretty much zilch, and Christmas is pretty much just going to be uh, just happy to be together. Yes. No, I, I, I certainly understand. I certainly understand. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing sure. that. As, as I promised uh, at, the, at the top of the interview, um, I did want to give you an opportunity to talk about something else uh, that, uh, that that is a bond that you and I have dating back now um, over four years, and, and that's social media. <laughs> you are uh, a prolific user of social media to, to get the good news out, to spread the conservative message uh, to an audience that you grew organically. And, and I think it's really frustrating for me to see individuals like you uh, face challenges of censorship from platforms like Facebook 
when when in fact you know you are not <laughs> as a retired accountant you're, you're certainly not a, a powerful politician or or somebody who um, you know has has the means you know to to you know go toe to toe with uh, with Mark Zuckerberg in a in a congressional hearing. Can you share with our listeners some of the challenges that, that you faced and you continue to face uh, with social media? Sure, sure. Um, the first thing, even though I put President Trump at the top of the mountain and you, you know, halfway up the mountain, and I'm down in the trenches, you know, with all the patriotic Americans, uh, is that I, I, I look at it and I compare because people say I put about twelve thousand hours into the 2016 and 2020 election. It's a lot of hours, but that's what it's taking to, you know, to, to get him to the finish line. And I look at it as just a big old, you know, towing chain. If somebody's going to tow your car out of the rut, out of a, you know, a, a rut, I'm just one of those chains, Rob. I'm just one little chain and that's it. That's how I see myself. But if you take that chain and these other people I deal with around our country and around the world and you link all those chains together, you can pull a car out of a ditch. And, and that's what it's had to take. And as far as uh, social media, um, before Trump won in 2016, uh, the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, were pretty much like the wild, wild west. They didn't see it, a Trump victory coming, so they really didn't have too much of an eye on us. And we, we just had a heyday. Uh, you know, trying to push our, our our narrative of the truth and and uh, the, the real news. And so, I mean, back then, just that, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I have had a good meme, a good post. Um, a typical post would be maybe a 70,000 reach, which is not bad. Uh, but on a real good post on a given day, I could get half a million to a million people reach, which is pretty good. And... So the, the run up to 2016, we were you know pretty wide open. As soon as he won, I mean, we're talking within hours, there was a stranglehold put on us that you wouldn't believe. And there are times now where a reach of two or 300 people is a big day. Every once in a while, I can, I can get one through. If uh, the key things on a good meme or if it's topical, very, uh, it's a point of the day very clean and clever you know if it's uh, people like funny things so we you know we try to make them funny and then uh the other part is the groups uh, obviously there's many 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 liberal and conservative groups so the more we can share these with uh the better chance that they'll share them and they'll share them things like that so what we've seen since 2016 is just an elaborate uh, I don't know how to put this because I got to be careful because these guys like to they like to deactivate accounts. But um, uh, they brought in the fact checkers, and I think I was part of that talking to that that uh, attorney. Uh, yes, as, as were as were we at the Daily Signal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we we know all too well about that. Okay, so the fact checkers, um, you just have to deal with them. My favorite my favorite uh, label they put on is out of context. And I'm thinking to myself, out of context is what the internet is. You know, nothing is really for real on the internet. So that's they have all kinds of little labels they they like, to, and I think they feel that the labels will slow somebody down or maybe keep them from from clicking on a, a, a post to, to look at it. 
most people nowadays, even in their comments, uh, I had one this morning or like, you know, the Facebook slapped a, a label on it and, you know, about all their uh, election results and predictions and all that kind of stuff. And, and so uh, people even comment, come on, Facebook, come on, Instagram or whoever, you know, uh, but that's, that's the cards we're dealt with, Rob. And, and so I, I, you know, I don't, I try not to complain about it too much. I just, it makes, tries to make me more clever as like I've created probably over 12,000 memes in that six year period. And, um, you know, I've made tons of friends, Rob, there are so many incredible patriotic people in the United States that I work with. I, I just can't sing their praises enough. And not only that, there are people around the world that I stay in contact with UK, South Africa, South America, Australia. And, uh, the, the crazy thing is they know about, more about our political system than I do. It's incredible. And there was a lady uh, from Australia. And one time I finally, she would post, you know, because of the time difference, she'd post while I was asleep all night. And I said to her, I said, why? You know, why, why are you you're doing this? And she said, Al, she goes, the way the United States goes is the way the world goes. And I said, okay, well, that's great. So we have a great system and, uh, I'm seeing more ghosting now than I used to see. I used to, I used to see most ghosting on Twitter, but now I'm seeing it, uh, you know, with that uh, CEO you met. And um, I can post to several groups and look hours later and see no comments or notifications from any of those groups. And I know that I posted to them. So, you know, be that as it may. So I run into things like that. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of crazy. So we're just dealing the best we can. The nice part was that I watched on November 3rd, the elections that night, and I saw that President Trump won, which was great, which made a lot of sense to me. And then the next morning, uh, like 7, 8 a.m., and I don't know if it was Michigan or I don't know which which swing state it was, but I'm, I'm sitting down in front of my computer and I see Trump's ahead like 30,000 votes, which is thin, but he's ahead. I get up and go to get some coffee. I'm not gone five minutes and I come back and Trump's down 10,000 votes. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, it never goes that fast. You know, it's a little votes here, a little votes there, you know, regardless of which guy's going to go ahead or, or drop behind. And it reminded me of, and the reason I'm going to bring this up is because we're going to get into technology just for a second. There was a movie in the 80s called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And the story is about this kid that was one of the first kids in the 80s to get a PC. So he was skipping school and his mom was calling the principal. And the principal's looking online and sees the kid missed 10 days of school. So then they flip to the kid and at home and he's showing how he can adjust that amount. And he changes it and start, the amount starts going down from 10 to 1. And so as this principal is talking to his mom on the phone, the principal sees the number go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then freezes at 1. And the principal, the look in his eyes like, how can this be? This, this is impossible. And so this is 35 years ago. You know, it was a silly movie. But 35 years later, 2020, that, that came to my mind as I watched Trump go from, from ahead to behind in a certain state. And I thought of that movie and I thought, wait a second, if a kid can do this in a silly movie in 1985, 
Holy cow, what in the world can technology do? <laughs> well, the technology, it, it, it certainly is, Alan. Thank you for sharing that with our listeners. I mean, I, I can I can say that we appreciate the work that, that you're doing as, as one of the, the soldiers out there doing doing a battle every day uh, with uh, with creative content on on these social media platforms. And and as we wrap up today, I, I just want to say how how thankful we are uh, to you. Uh, for sharing your story. I think it's really insightful to hear from somebody who's a survivor of COVID yes. and uh, and for you to share your advice with other Americans. Hopefully they can make a plan and be prepared if they uh, they do unfortunately contract the virus. Um, we hope that you and your wife uh, enjoy the holiday season here and uh, and you're healthy and you get to spend some quality time with your family. I appreciate that. Can I make one shameless plug? Absolutely. And I mean this, when people contact me people you know that don't know me they'll say i want the real news i want the real news you know where can i get it and without a doubt i just send them dailysignal.com and i'm not saying that to puff you up or puff up your staff but you guys just present the facts without the bias and the rub and all that kind of stuff and i appreciate that and i appreciate being a small part of it thanks rob merry christmas Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? Every day, the Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. Webinar topics range from ethics during the COVID-19 pandemic to the CARES Act and the economy. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia, who do you have first? In response to my podcast interview with Charles Fane Lehman, Woke Culture Comes for America's High Schools, Harold Harmon writes, education has been hijacked by the liberals and destroyed. It's only getting worse. DeKalb County, Georgia, where I am from, had one of the best educational systems in the U.S., People moved here from all over the country to have their kids educated in our school system. It is now one of the worst systems in the U.S. People are now moving out of DeKalb County due to the liberals. And in response to my recent interview with the Reverend Samuel Rodriguez on his new book, From Survive to Thrive, Claire Kimmel of North Carolina writes, I listened to your interview with the Reverend Sammy Rodriguez this evening. At the end, you asked in regard to the election, how we might find some common ground. His answer was excellent, but there is another thing I would add to the conversation. I believe that all of us who love the truth, and most on both sides of the political divide love the truth, would want the truth of the election to prevail. I have asked friends on both sides of the vote, if they knew that their candidate won through fraud, would they still want him to be president? Most folks I have talked to want the truth to be known. Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com. I'm Amy Swearer. And I'm Giancarlo Canaparo. And if you want to understand what's happening at the Supreme Court, be sure to check out SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast. We take a look at the cases, the personalities, and the gossip at the highest court in the land. It's SCOTUS 101. Virginia, you have another good news story to share with us today. Over to you. Thanks so much, Rob. 
73% of women have an abortion due to financial burden. 73%. That is according to the pro-life organization Let Them Live, founded by Emily Burning. Emily and her husband founded Let Them Live to provide practical resources to women in crisis pregnancies, giving them what they need to choose life. I had the opportunity to sit down with Emily a little bit earlier this year, before COVID, at the Conservative Political Action Conference. Here's my conversation with Emily. I am joined by Emily Burning. <laughs> She's the founder of Let Them Live. Emily, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited. So tell me a little bit about what uh, Let Them Live is. Yeah, so 73% um, of women get abortions because of financial reasons, and that's according to the Guttmacher Institute. And so when my husband and I founded Let Them Live, we saw that and we said, 100% of those abortions are preventable. If we know the reason that they're going into that abortion clinic, we can stop that abortion. And so we kind of did our research and we realized that there were no pro-life organizations that already existed that sort of addressed that financial aspect. Um, and so we help women cancel their abortions and choose life um, by financially supporting them through their pregnancy. So how do you get connected with those women? Yeah, so um, we actually are currently building a partnership with Heartbeat International. Um, and we work with a lot of pregnancy resource centers. Um, we get some referrals from sidewalk counselors, 40 Days for Life. Um, and then sometimes the women come to us on their own um, and you know, we'll refer them to a pregnancy resource center so they can get that ultrasound and get that in-person support. You know, Because we're based in, in Indiana and we help women all over the US, we wanna make sure that they, while they have our resources, they have that in-person support and contact with them. Wow, that's so great. Yeah. Tell me about some of the women that you've worked with. Absolutely. Well, the, the first woman that comes to mind um, is um, a woman that was actually offered money from the National Abortion Federation to have an abortion. And she actually just texted me the other day, and she was like, Emily, I was on my way to this abortion appointment. It was an hour and a half away. I was halfway there. I had the money from, you know, NAF. And somehow I got connected to you. We couldn't. It was last summer. She's like, I can't remember, but you gave me some hope and I turned that car around like I didn't go through with it because you know I didn't I didn't need to like I had your help and that was like really impactful for me because if the National Abortion Federation can fund abortions the pro-life movement can 100% fund life and that's what we need to see in the pro-life movement moving forward is that we can put our money where our mouth is we can actually save lives and it's actually gonna make an impact um, and that kind of leads into my my next story um, my husband and I actually got in contact last October with a woman who was 20 weeks pregnant, living in her car, and just had no support. The father of her child abandoned her. Her family was no support at all. She just really didn't have anything. Her job wasn't making her ends meet. Um, and she was scheduled for a two-day abortion procedure. And then she kind of, she told us that, um, you know, she didn't want to have that abortion, but she didn't know any other way. And that it, when she went through with it, she wouldn't be able to live her, with herself. So then she was going to commit suicide. And the second that she told us that, we actually hopped on a flight to um, see her in California and to just like be there for her and talk to her and say like, we love you. It's going to be okay. Um, we're here for you, even if no one else is. Um, and we talked her out of that abortion and we've been helping her just like she, and she's been doing amazing. I mean, she she has like, you know, been working really hard, and she's just been through so much. Um, and so we've been financially helping her. She's become family 
to us and her son is going to be like family. You know, my husband and I don't have kids yet. Um, and so, you know, her son just feels like my child in a way, you know, just like I'm going to be so close to him. I already love him so much. So I'm going to get so teary eyed, but, um, it's going to be really special to be a part of that. That is so special. So yeah. you're, you're just really providing that practical hands-on support. You're literally going and sitting with people yeah. in the midst of their hardship, in the midst of that struggle of, yeah. do I keep this child? Do I get an abortion? And you're providing them not just with, you know, this is why you shouldn't abort, but with the practical means of, okay, let's sit down and actually make a plan about how, how this can be doable to Absolutely. raise this child. But, you know, and it's because like these women are in this, in, in this situation where they feel like they're in crisis and nothing else around them is registering except for, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so when we come in and we address that issue specifically for them and we reassure them and we, like I said, we put our money where our mouth is, um, you know, they feel like so confident and empowered to choose life, which is really what being pro-life is all about because it is so pro-woman, um, you know, to, to walk alongside these women. You know, the, the National Abortion Federation, they just say, oh, here, I'll fund your abortion, go off and have it, like, be done. What else are they doing? They're not, they're not following up with these moms when they are experiencing post-abortive trauma. They're not, they're not there with them, but let them live is, is saying like, let's walk alongside of you. We're not going to pay you for an abortion. We're going to, we're going to pay you for life. Like we're going to, we're going to help you be a mom. And it's, it's really, it's really cool. And, um, we're definitely really, really lucky to, to, um, you know, do this work. So, so obviously what you do, it does take resources in yes, order to support these ladies, yep. support these families. How can we help you? Absolutely. Well, anyone listening, um, you know, I hear so many of our donors say, thank you for giving us a, you know, an avenue to, to put our money towards that is so practical and so real. Um, you know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, so any donations that come in, you know, it's going to go to save a life, literally like to save a life, which is something that not a lot of organizations can say um but you know just like Atoria's baby boy do like all the donations that came in for her to get her out of her car and get us to fly to her and all those things like that all helped her choose life um and so you know going to our website letthemlive.org following us on social media we do a bunch of different crowdfunding campaigns for these moms we also have like monthly donors um you know if people want to sign up for monthly contributions to just keep giving every single month um to help keep us doing what we're doing um that's also really important as well that's so good. Emily, yeah. thank you so much for telling us about Let Them Live. Yeah, we really appreciate you so what you're, the, the hard work that you're doing and how you're affecting the lives of children for generations to come. Yeah, thank you so much. Again, if you want to get involved and learn how you can support the work of Let Them Live, you can visit letthemlive.org. Virginia, thanks so much for sharing that story. We always like bringing you some good news on this Monday. We're going to leave it there for today, and you can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows are available at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. We hope you have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. 
For more information, visit DailySignal.com.